Uh, turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 14. We just read from John chapter 13. We're going to look at John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. And when I say Happy New Year, I, I really mean that. I, I hope you have a happy new year. I don't know what kind of problems and struggles you've had uh, in 2019. And, and really, who knows what kinds of problems and struggles we might face in, in 2020. Uh, in fact, Jesus said, in fact, in, in this upper room discourse, John 13 through 17, in, in John 16:33, if I remember right, Jesus said, in this world you will have what? You'll have trouble. Is that one of your favorite promises of Jesus? In this world you will have trouble. It's like, well, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for that. I, I don't want to claim that promise. But, but it's interesting what he says. He says, in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. And that, that word, that phrase, take heart, could also be translated, take courage or be courageous. For I have overcome the world. So what's really important there to see is that, that Jesus is not saying, I am going to make this new year less troublesome for you necessarily, but I am going to help you be more courageous. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Be courageous. I, I find this so fascinating and so interesting. He's saying, I am not promising to make life easier for you, but I am promising to make you braver, to make you more courageous so that you can overcome your troubles. And so as, I, as I've been reflecting on this in, in the last really month or more, been thinking about what to preach on this new year, it's, I really feel God guiding me to, to give a series on the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he, Jesus teaches on the Holy Spirit in this upper room discourse and gives some of the richest teaching on the Holy Spirit. And even John 16, 33, where he says this, in, the, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. It's in the context of the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to, to read. In fact, will you kind of make this your New, New Year's resolution? For the month of January, at least, read and reread and then read again. Many times over, this upper room discourse, John 13 through 17, or even more specifically, 14 through 16, where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit so much. And I'm calling this, this new series on the Holy Spirit, Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God, because that's the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, is to bring you and me intimacy with God. Jesus teaches us that we can not only know about God out there, the creator, and how we can look at creation and go, wow, isn't this incredible? And we can not only look at, at God's word, the scriptures, and see, wow, look at what God did thousands of years ago, but God can actually be in here. He can get in here. We can experience him through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, do you have intimacy with God? Do you have intimacy with God? I remember one of my first encounters that I had with the Holy Spirit. I was 11 years old. I was at a church service, and I don't have time to give you the, the whole story, but God became so real to me that I knew that I knew that I knew he was true and that Jesus was true. And at the end of that service, I, I went to the pastor and we talked and, and I prayed to receive Jesus into my life. And 
my life has never been the same. That was the turning point in my life. 11-year-old kid. The whole trajectory of my life was changed because of that encounter with the Holy Spirit. Of course, I've had ups and downs and sins and struggles throughout my teen years and throughout the rest of my life, of course. But, but through it all, God has been with me and has guided me and strengthened me and blessed me and given me peace and courage to face the struggles of life. See, when you receive the Holy Spirit, your life will never be the same, and you won't want it to be. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Would you like more intimacy with God? This new year, God is challenging us and calling us, I believe, you and me both, to, to let him into those deep recesses of our hearts that we've kept closed off from him. Maybe you've been a believer for years, but you have carried with you some hurts, some regrets, some pain, and it's time for you to open up and let the Holy Spirit get into those deep recesses of your soul. And His holy presence can burn away the chaff and the sin and the, the junk. And He can give you the courage, the bravery that you need. In this world you will have trouble, but be courageous. He can give you that courage to face the, the struggles and challenges of life. So before we turn to John 14 and listen to the words of Jesus, would you bow your heads with me? And let's just, let's just pray and ask for God's, God's grace as we look at this. Lord Jesus, we, we open up our hearts to receive you and receive what you have for us today. I ask that you would send us your Holy Spirit. I ask that you would forgive us. Lord, we've just had communion as we've started this new year, and it reminds us of your death on the cross, how you shed your blood and your body was broken for us. We thank you for that, Lord, and we claim that hope. We claim that promise, and we ask that you would now help us to understand more of the Holy Spirit and help us to receive your Holy Spirit in a fresh, deeper way so that our lives will never be the same. And we won't want them to be the same. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, John chapter 14. Let's begin in verse 15. John chapter 14. And I'll begin in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, notice what Jesus says here. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. So who is the Holy Spirit? He is another advocate. And notice, some translations say another counselor, another comforter, another helper, another uh, 
consoler, uh, dozens of different translations there. And you say, well, Greg, which is it? I mean, how can it be that you could translate one word in all these different ways? Well, if you happen to know another language, some of you know another language, right? You know that sometimes it's really hard and very tricky to translate one word into another word in, an, in a different language because there's just no exact e equivalent. And, and this, this is one of those times. The Greek word here is parakletos, parakletos. And the word para or para means to come alongside of, where we kind of get our word parallel, okay? And then you have kletos, comes from the, the, verb, the, the root verb kaleo, which means to call. And so parakletos literally means one who's called alongside of. So that's the basic idea, one who is called alongside of. Now, obviously, you can be called alongside of for a variety of purposes, right? You, you know, to help, to encourage, to, to advocate, to, to console, to comfort, to guide. And so th this word parakletos, Jesus says, I'm sending you another parakletos, another, and the, the New English Version translates it as another advocate. And they, it's because those translators believe it, and, and, and I, I think they're right, that, that it has kind of a, a, a courtroom background here. You know, think about it. You have a, if you're in court and you have a lawyer, and, and he becomes your advocate, and he's standing alongside of you, and, and anybody who comes and stands alongside of you and advocates for you, they're defending you, they're, they're trying to help you, they're encouraging you, they're, they're comforting you. They're guiding you. So you see, the word can be translated in, in, in all those ways. So who is the Holy Spirit? He's your advocate. He's your helper. He's your encourager. He's your counselor. He is the presence of Jesus spiritually. In fact, Jesus goes on to say in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus comes to us through the Holy Spirit. And what will he do? Verse 16. To help you and be with you forever. Wow. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring the reality of God to you. So God isn't just an idea or a force out there, but he's real in you to help you and be with you forever. Which, which leads us to a second question. So who is the Holy Spirit? He's, he's another advocate. He's our helper, our counselor, our guide. He's all of that. But who, who is he? What do we mean by the Trinity? So anybody starting to get confused yet? I mean, here notice what, what he says. So here we have the Father, we have Jesus, and we have another advocate, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. So we have the Father, we have Jesus the Son, we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. So we have Jesus asking the Father to send another advocate, another counselor to be with us forever. So there, there seems to be three different persons here. Father, Son, Spirit. They seem to be different. And yet, Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, 
it is also his coming. He says, I will come to you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will show myself to you, he says also in this chapter. And then down in verse 23, he says that he and the father, he and the father will come and make their home in us. So how, how do we understand this? They're kind of different and they're kind of the same. Different, the same. The same, then different. How do we understand this? And remember, John, who is writing this gospel, the Apostle John, is a Jewish man. He's a Jew. In fact, all the early followers of Jesus were Jews. They were strict monotheists. They, they believed in one God. They were brought up from birth to recite Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And they believed that. They were raised in that. So it is absolutely incredible that this new Jewish movement, these followers of Jesus, worshipped Jesus as God. Do we now have two gods? Is, is idolatry going on here? What, what's going on here? Well, very briefly, because we have to be brief because it would be easy to spend a lot of time on this. The, the early church developed what, what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. Trinity or triunity, Trinity. One scholar summarizes it this way. The Trinity is God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. So in some sense, they are three, and in some sense, they are one. We do not believe in three gods. We are monotheists. There's only one God, but this one God exists as three persons. You got that? Okay, let's go home. We all got that down, right? Everybody's going to pass the math test, right? So obviously this is difficult and this is mysterious. No one has ever been able to explain it fully and completely and simply. But to say that it is mysterious and difficult is not to say that it is contradictory or illogical. Just because something is hard to understand or even beyond our understanding does not mean necessarily that it is illogical or wrong. So three quick questions about the Trinity. The first question about the Trinity is this. Is it biblical? I mean, that's the foundational thing, right? Is this Trinity thing even biblical? Because you can read the Bible and you'll never come across the word Trinity. You'll never find any verse says, now God is a Trinity, and, and give you a definition of Trinity. You won't find that anywhere. So you say, well, how do we know that this doctrine of the Trinity is even biblical? Well, it, it's, it's, it's been agreed upon from, you know, with, with like almost all churches forever since the beginning. Uh, but, but here is the biblical basis, okay? For example, right here, John 14, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. So Jesus, in many places like this, he's acting with authority like he's God. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So we have three. We have Jesus, the Son. We have the Father. We have this other advocate, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he says, you know him. He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So we have this three that seem to be different and yet the same, and we go, hmm, how do we make sense out of that? And then we come across many other verses like John 1, 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So here the context again makes it absolutely clear. It's talking about Jesus. So he's saying in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. So different. And the word was God. Oh, the same. Here we go again. The word became flesh. Oh, so, so somehow God, the son, became a man. Became flesh, made his dwelling among us. And then you go to Matthew 3 and you see Jesus being baptized. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So here you have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and you have a voice from heaven saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So again, you have Father, Son, Spirit, three different, yet somehow the same. And, and then, then you have the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So here's Jesus again, claiming to have all kinds of authority. You better obey his commands. Who does he think he is? God? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wow. Father, Son, Spirit. Here we go again. Ephesians 4.30. Many verses like these. Where the Apostle Paul in his letters, he talks about the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4.30. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. A month or two ago when we did our series through the, the Paul's letter to uh, the Ephesians, our life group came upon this verse and several of them were amazed. And they had never thought of the Holy Spirit as a person. They thought, wow, I never thought about grieving the Holy Spirit. See, you can't grieve a thing. I can't grieve this table. I can't grieve the floor. It has no feelings. It's not a person. But so you can only grieve a person. And so Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit is doing his work, we're going to talk next Sunday about what the Holy Spirit actually does, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when the Holy Spirit is, whether he's convicting you or guiding you or speaking to you in your conscience, and, and you resist the Holy Spirit, you grieve him. You make him sad. He's a person, you see. He's not a force or an idea. So, so we see from all this that the doctrine of the Trinity is, is biblical. It's the best explanation that we can come up with of explaining the three and yet one. And it, you see this threeness throughout the New Testament everywhere. So it's biblical. But, it's, but is it logical? Here's another question about the Trinity. Is it logical? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, come on, Greg. You know, they, you know, I'm I'm into math, and uh, there's just no way. Uh, this sounds so illogical. It's like square circles or flying pigs. It's, it just can't be. Again, a lot could be said here, but uh, if we were saying that God is one and God is three in exactly the same sense, that would be contradictory. That would be illogical. But we're not saying that they are one and three in exactly the same at the exactly same time. So now, as soon as we say that, however, scientists themselves are grappling with the reality of light, for example. And some are now saying that light is a wave and a particle at the same time. 
and they're struggling with how can it be both. So it's fascinating, and I just use that as an illustration to say there is so much way beyond our understanding. And just because you can't understand it does not mean it's illogical. See, I think creation itself bears the marks of the Trinity. We have past, present, future. We have length, height, depth. We have a 3D universe. So the Trinity is mysterious, the three in one, one in three. It's so mysterious, fascinating, beyond our ability to, to comprehend. But that is not to say that it is illogical. So uh, it's, it's biblical, it's logical, but is it practical? I mean, really, who cares about the Trinity? You know, what, three and one, one and three, all these definitions, who cares? So what practical difference does it make? Maybe it's an optional thing, a peripheral thing that we can believe or not believe doesn't really matter. Well, for one thing, if you deny the Trinity, you are denying the very foundational teaching of the gospel. You're denying the evidence that the New Testament gives us. And so how can you deny what, what Scripture is saying and, and, and say that you follow Jesus? For another thing, when you say the Trinity isn't true, you're saying that Jesus was not God. You're saying he was just a mere man like thousands of other mere men who've had a lot of nice ideas that you can take or leave, pick or choose, whatever you want. He was just another man who died on a cross. You see, there were thousands of men who died on crosses back in the Roman days. And you're saying that Jesus' death, because he's a mere man, cannot atone for the sins of the world. How can one man dying on a cross possibly atone for the sins of the whole world? It can't. So the cross is drained of its power. And if you're denying what Jesus says here in John 14, that, that when he says he'll ask the Father to give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, and who will bring you the presence of Jesus and the Father himself, I, I would say that's pretty practical, wouldn't you? So, so here's the thing, here, and here, here's the, the, the main question this morning for us. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you? Jesus said, I've done my work. I've, you know, we just come, came through Christmas, the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus has lived out, you know, 30, 33 years of life. He's, he's grown man and he's taught, had his ministry. And, and he's, he, he's crucified and he's resur resurrected. And he, and he says, I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit to you. I'm leaving. I've done my work. I'm leaving physically, but I'm asking the Father to send you another advocate to be with you forever. He's promising us the Holy Spirit. And then if you turn over to Acts chapter 1, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he promises them again. He says, I'm about to ascend to heaven, but I want you to have the Holy Spirit. In, verse, in Acts 1.4, he says, it says on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Before you go make disciples of all nations, I want you to go into all the world, tell everybody about me, baptize everybody in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But before you go, wait. Wait for the gift my Father promised. And in Acts 1, Jesus ascends. They watch him go back into heaven. And in Acts 2, the promise is fulfilled. In Acts 1, Jesus goes up 
In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. The Holy Spirit is poured out on them. There's wind. There's fire, tongues of fire floating on the heads of, of the apostles. And some of them begin to praise God in foreign languages that they hadn't heard, uh, hadn't learned. And it's all very miraculous and strange. And a few thousand people gather around because it happened to be the Jewish Feast of Pentecost, and there were thousands of Jews there from all around the Roman Empire. And they say, what's going on here? And Peter stands up and he tells them. He tells them about Jesus. And near the end of his talk, he says in Acts 2.33, Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The promise has been fulfilled. Jesus has left, but the Holy Spirit has come. And in some strange way, Jesus and the Father come when the Holy Spirit comes. And people who are listening say, Peter, what shall we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? In Acts 2.39, Peter says, the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So the promise is for you and for me. It's for everybody. And then you turn to the letters of the Apostle Paul and, and you find him say things like Acts or Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So I hope and pray that you didn't get drunk on wine over New Year's. But are you filled with the Spirit? Jesus promised that He wants you to have His Holy Spirit. He promised that He wants you to have that parakletos, another advocate, another helper, another counselor, another comforter, another encourager to be with you and in you forever. Maybe right now you feel the Holy Spirit convincing you of your sin and your need for Jesus right now. Maybe right now you feel the Holy Spirit stirring your heart to develop more intimacy with Jesus this year. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time, but you've had no intimacy with, with God for a long time. And you believe, but there's real, no, no reality there, no experience there. It's like, the Holy Spirit might as well not even exist. You believe in the Father out there. You believe in Jesus long ago in the past. But there's nothing real and present and powerful and impactful about it right now. Receive the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we don't pretend to comprehend your infinite, omnipotent, omnipresent being. But we take you at your word when you tell us that you want to come and 
make your home in us. Lord, we can do more than just talk about you. We can experience you. We can enjoy intimacy with you. Holy Spirit, some of us need to receive you for the first time today. And many of us, no doubt, need a fresh and filling of you today. So we receive you, Holy Spirit. We receive you, Lord Jesus. Come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.